CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What is up, Gypsy gang? Uh, we are back for not another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast. I'm doing a re-release of one of my favorite podcasts that I've ever recorded with one of my favorite people that I've ever met. Um, his name is Taylor Cecil. He is a personal trainer here on the Gold Coast, but I just I don't even know that you could call him a personal trainer. Uh, he is a... Man, he's, he's one of the dudes that I honestly look up to um, the most in my day-to-day life. Uh, he's a guy that I've taken a lot from, not only in this podcast that you're about to listen to, um, but just following him, uh, watching the way that he works with his uh, athletes and his clients, watching the way that he is in his personal relationships, watching the way that he is as a father. Uh, and today is his 30th birthday. Uh, so for anybody that is new to Gypsy Tales and uh, may not have heard this one, uh, he's not a big name that you would recognize when you scrolled through our 150 plus episodes. Uh, so Happy birthday, mate, uh, for your 30th, and uh, this is a present to the listeners that may have missed this episode. I think we recorded it in October of last year, early October, Um, so if you have started listening to the podcast since October, you might have missed this one, Um, and like I said, it's one of my favorite all-time episodes. He's just such a good dude. Uh, Just got to give a shout out to the sponsors that make this podcast possible, Uh, the guys at mxstore.com.au. I've been relying on these guys heavily with our mid-2K build. Uh, Jeff and the team at MX Store were responsible for uh, getting the uh the 252 stroke running on the weekend uh Marxy at a1 accessories as well with some maxis tires and motorex oil uh and also gavin eels coming in clutch from circo literally coming in clutch gave me a clutch uh and some bearings for the linkages uh so massive thank you to uh those legends for making it happen uh big shout out to the guys at rival inc you can head to rival inc designcode.com use the promo code gypsy gang there uh you can also use that same code uh at thrillseekerscollection.com uh special thanks to the guys at cricks in tweed uh still moving a bunch of vehicles out the door um so just a big thank you to those guys as well as sammy moore uh, with Fist Handwear, you can go to fisthandwear.com, use the code FUCKJACE for 20% off, uh, and you can also go to dixonquality.com.au, and you can use the code RAMPTHIEF, but make sure you th- 
spell thief wrong because uh, Sammy, you know what, can run a can run a uh, a uh, handware company but can't spell, so uh, won't hold that one against him. But yeah, thank you very much to everybody for listening. Thanks to our sponsors that keep the lights on, and thank you to Taylor Cecil for being a very special human. Again, happy birthday, mate, uh, and uh, enjoy this episode, guys. This is one I really, really enjoyed. From the all right we're on taylor cecil we're doing it bro finally i'm yes. very excited finally man it's been uh been a bit in the making but uh yeah finally get to sit down and have a nice yarn yeah i'm keen so we met and you're like one of those rare people so we met through harley who you train with yep you're one of those rare people where like as soon as we left justin lane me and ricky were both like did we just meet the nicest dude alive? <laughs> so, oh, thanks, man. You come cool. across those people every now and again, but they're quite rare. So yeah, no, thanks, mate. No, it's um, yeah, you know, I, I think um, yeah, it's a uh, it's something that um, I practice. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Are you, so you're actively like your your whole thing. So you're a physical trainer, but mm-hmm. I feel like your approach that you take is like a real overall look mm-hmm. of like what is a good human and yeah. not just like all the physical stuff that you do, the mental stuff with the breathing, the ice bath stuff, the nutrition stuff. Like you just sort of seem like you're that guy that's just very interested in like what is the best way we can make a human run. Yeah, no, exactly right. Um, yeah, you're on the money with that. It's um, been a passion that I've developed over the years because of um, how I've seen it work on myself too, you know, like from um, that physical aspect, but then what else influences that physical aspect? Um, I was a professional triathlete um, for quite some time and very sporty, you know, in my teenage years and as a youngster. And um, I was able to, you know, put in the hard work of the physical side of it, but um, started to also see the influence that things like nutrition or the way that I'm thinking or how much recovery time I get, um, what I'm stressing about, whatever, how all of that also impacts on the physical me. Um, So I was very uh, fortunate to have a coach when I was about 16 that introduced me to this side of it. And um, kind of a a bit into my my journey of it was uh, at that stage, what got me uh, to or led me to her was um, that I had chronic fatigue and adrenal fatigue. Oh, really? Um, when I was about, yeah, 17, 18 years old. Yeah. And um, at that time I was, yes, pushing really hard as a triathlete. I was trying to study super hard. I had different sorts of stresses going on um, naturally at that age, but also, you know, stresses that kind of put on myself a little bit. Mm. Um, and, and the way I describe it is that all different stresses kind of funnel down into having the same effect on our body because it's cortisol right essentially yeah. like there's a hormone that's being released when you're stressed yeah yeah so the more of that you have in the system literally the more stress you put on your system right yeah yeah exactly and it's kind of like you you get to this stage where it's an it's an overload yeah and um for me my mind would you know i was kind of conditioned to just push harder and train harder but it got to the stage where my body was like fuck this you know you're out yeah and i was in bed for six months just trying to rejuvenate uh so uh, at that stage um 
Mick, Mick Fanning, was training with a lady named Jan Carton. And um, he... What was the name of that clinic? That Was that the... Czech Australia. Yeah, Czech, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I have heard about that. Yeah, which was actually just down the road from here. Yeah, right. Yeah, at one stage. Um, so, yeah, he put me onto her. And that's where I just... I had to learn. I had to learn about um, all these things I mentioned. You know, what food I was putting in my mouth. How I was thinking. Um, what my beliefs were around training. Um how I was training and I was obviously overtraining. And so I had to really map out all of that side of it and take a deep dive into myself and, you know, am I going to continue doing this? Am I going to beat my head against the wall and um, be stuck in bed again? Or am I going to learn about the different stresses on my body? So, mate, she had me practicing things like breathing and uh, relaxing, going within, eating right, and it was just such a drastic change for me. Um, and at first I was like, you know. Why Seems I, like hokey. Yeah. Why am I on the floor breathing when I should be, you know, doing some weighted pull-ups and getting strong for, for my sport? Yeah. And, um, you know, I had that mindset. But I still had that mindset while I was down and out. Mm. So, yeah. She, like you she had to like be, a rebuild mindset when you sort of nah. – That's like what you had to have. It was like, okay – I've got six months of like, I can't do what I did before. I have to do different rebuilding type activities, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was kind of forced to, to learn about this stuff. Uh, and yeah, that was um, the best thing that ever happened to me, <laughs> basically. Because, That's crazy, eh? Yeah, for, for me, having that, that chronic fatigue was like pivotal moment and is why I'm so invested and in love with researching and practicing things on myself and applying to you know my clients and athletes and um yeah just just approaching that leaving no stone unturned yeah. is kind of how and i being think open about it. to like everything yeah yeah yep, being super open to everything and um yeah so that's that's kind of what catapulted me into this uh journey of being a coach and um just yeah investing in myself really the one thing that really struck me with you is that Harley, I've known Harley since he was a 14 year old kid and he never trained ever and he didn't like training and it was almost his thing was that he was the best dude in the world without training and that's like the, the flag he'd almost put in the ground and people knew him as that the guy. Identity. Yeah, yeah, and he, I think he was like sort of proud of that in a way mm. and then the thing that really made me like think you had some really crazy shit going on is the fact that he was this kid that had never trained his whole life and been notorious against training to now a guy that genuinely loves to train mm. and it was you and I'm like what did he do like how did that happen how did you create this guy that now loves to train mm. yeah uh, um, it's I suppose the what sent Harley to me was um, his his ACL his knee right his knee injury he yeah came across me um, through social media and hit me up and yeah you know I didn't know Harley and we came in had a good chat I loved his vibe and um, you know he seemed just really motivated to get right and want to get stronger than before and yeah you know he was carrying a little bit of weight 
Uh, he was... Um, he definitely was a bit of a chubber back then. I can't even <laughs> picture that highly now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he was just really, you know, what started it, I suppose, was his investment in wanting to get his knee right. Yeah. And the motivation behind getting back out there and wanting to, you know, again, win another world championship. So his motivation with that started it. And I suppose it was on a... That the journey of of him and I together was um, that we could be uh, that I, I could be relatable with him in terms of you know what it's like to be down and out and um, you know have some some compassion for where he was at in that stage and um, yeah I think with that he became a lot more maybe open minded and. You know, one of the things I always love to talk about with new clients is how coachable are you? And that means, number one, what's your willingness to learn? Uh, number two, how open-minded are you? And number three, who do you listen to? And, uh, you know, I think we had that discussion early in the piece and, yeah, he maybe took like a, a bit more of a conscious understanding of, oh, wow, okay, you know, what is my willingness to learn and um yeah i think that just opened his mind a little bit to some things and yeah you know we we were doing the right things physically and we were applying uh what we needed to do to, to get him back back on track from a from a physical level which i'm sure we'll dive into a little bit um but yeah he just grabbed it by the balls and wanted to eat right wanted to move right wanted to also learn how to work in um you know as i was discussing before it's like instead of just work out instead of yeah, just work yeah. out that's a cool concept yeah i think uh is that something that is like one of your main philosophies would yep, you think 100 like work in and work out yeah you know everyone knows how to work out yeah everyone knows how to work out but to what degree do you know how to work in because it's how you work in that i believe actually makes you a world champ or helps you move towards your potential whether it's from a business perspective or from a yeah whatever the relationship you want to have like you've got to be you've got to understand yourself you've got to understand your own energy and that requires working in so, and so where did you start with that working in then um that was and do you remember what what you were like before and now in hindsight that you've got to a different place when you look back, what was some of the stuff where you're like, oh, that was really wrong? Yeah, mate. Uh, when I was talking about my chronic fatigue, you know, if, if it was before that, um, I had the belief. So it, it really lies in, in our beliefs. And for me, my belief was that working out or so training or, or working hard is the only way to make progress. But as we all sort of know is that muscles don't rebuild when you're actually training they break down it's when you're recovering that muscles rebuild and it's that same concept for your energy too if you want to be energized enough to be on the start line of or you know when the when the horn goes off uh, you need a balanced energy system and a balanced energy within yourself um, so the, the concept of working in is something that needs to happen you know and we're, we're cottoning onto that a lot more with the understanding of 
sleep cycles and circadian rhythms you know that's a form of work in yeah um a lot more people are becoming open-minded to things like meditation or um you know i practice tai chi for one uh, as an energy building exercise um and you know just just tuning out to all of the distractions we also have mm-hmm. that's um, my biggest thing at the moment yeah i think that's holding me back is just distractions constant yeah. constant things like pulling me away from the stuff i'd rather be doing yeah because I, I do love like the stretching i've been getting way more into reading like the only thing and i've always read but the only thing i've been buying lately is i've been on amazon buying books every time i hear someone recommend a book that i respect yeah and i've heard other things about that book i've mm. been ordering it so now i've got like a stack of books piling up but i'm still not all the way disciplined to tuning out those distractions yet and yeah. like today i was watching youtube and then i was then i looked at my book and i was like oh, like it wasn't a thing to just not you know to move away from that distraction and then go mm. into what it is that i actually wanted to do yeah yeah no f- funny funny we're kind of on this subject it was only this morning um that i seen the concept of dopamine fasting and um what that means is is that we live in a very technological age, right? Mm. And we have a lot of distractions. You know, we can pick up our phone and um, step into Instagram. But every time we do something that's kind of uh, a short burst of um, a short little hit, well, we're getting a hit of dopamine. Mm. And it's, that's the chemical in the brain that makes us, you know, happy or, or spikes us. Um, we get that when we are watching yeah, social media, but we get that when we eat certain foods. We get that when we um, watch TV or Netflix or movies. Um, you know, we get that through distractions, yeah. basically. Uh, but what the, the concept of dopamine fasting is that uh, you give yourself a period of time of laying off distractions. So putting away the phone for a certain period of time and maybe exchanging that for um, just going for a walk on the beach, you know, something that doesn't require action. Yeah. Um, you know, Eastern kind of philosophy would talk about that as just being and just practice just being. Yeah. Um, like those kind of old Tao philosophies and Buddhist philosophies. Yeah, yeah. yeah stuff like that. Um, and I, I, f- I think it's so important to, you know, check in with maybe a bit of a dopamine fast here or there. Yeah. Whether that means that you, um, you know, you revolt against in yourself being on your phone between, I don't know, seven at night until you go to bed mm. or you're not allowed to look at it until you wake up and... Um, have your drink of water and have yeah. your breakfast and look at it after that. Yeah. Or whether it means just, you know, getting back out to nature or jumping in the ocean, you know, just things like this that ha- are going to be so critical to our health as the technological age ramps up even more and more and more. Yeah. You know, it's not to say that the technological age is a bad thing. It's just to say, how are you balancing yourself enough in these times? Yeah because it's so important for our health. You know, more and more people are getting the shit that I had when I was 16, 17. Yeah. And I constantly have to check in on um, my energy and whether I'm spending too much or not. Um, because, you know, 
I'm a, I can get hyped up and I can love life too. But if I spend too much time doing workout things, then, you know, I too fall in a hole. Yeah, yeah. So it's so interesting the um the like the technological age really hasn't been around for that long Mm -hmm. and i think that the worst of it has come from the iphone since the iphone was invented i don't think technology in quote unquote was that bad like i might sit Mm -hmm. down and watch two hours of tv a day Mm -hmm. as a kid that would be from like you know, six thirty when the news come on and you you know you sat down and mum was making dinner. You sit down and then maybe eight thirty was bedtime. That mm. was technology, really. Yeah. And it's like for those hours, it's not going to be a crazy impact on your life. There's twenty two other hours a day where you're not being distracted, like you said. Mm. But like, dude, my my fucking screen time on my phone is like six hours. Mm. You know, it's yeah. hectic. Yeah. And I'm I'm not a scrolling person. Like, mm. I don't sit and look at Instagram that much. Mm. But it's all the, for me, it's like all the posting and replying to comments and DMs mm. and like trying to run the business side of what what we do. Mm. And then I'm on a computer when I'm not on my phone. And it's like, I just think that it hasn't been that long since it's happened, but there's already such a heavy pushback. Yeah. Like we just went all in on the phones and the computers and mm. the emails and the now with Netflix and YouTube and it's like a really short concentrated time but already a pretty big pushback yeah no yeah you're exactly right and we're adaptive beings too um but yeah uh it also takes time to be adaptive you know so you know if if this is happening really really quickly then um yeah to be adaptive this quick yeah it can be quite is difficult for us yeah um, so yeah, there's a balance within it all. I really feel, um, and yeah, just becoming, um, becoming good planners in a way too. Yeah, you know, I can, I totally agree with you know, getting back to people and constantly there's a lot of different forms of getting back to people too. You know, mm. you're getting back to someone on Instagram, on email on Facebook, on text, calls, you know, all different things. Um, So one of the things I'm practicing is trying to consolidate that and, you know, maybe send, if I've had something from Instagram, it's like, hey, hit me on the email. Mm. From, um, yeah, from Facebook, it's like, hey, here's my email, get back to that. Mm. Um, And try and bring conversation into one streamline type type of place so that in in my mind it's um it's not scattered uh, which it sometimes feels like well like a good analogy for it is when you hit this little half swipe up on your phone and you can see all of your apps it's like Mm. if there's all of those apps are open that's sort of in your mind like you know i need to check whatsapp i need to check snapchat i need to check instagram i need so like all those tabs essentially Mm. are open in your mind because i always try and think about my brain as a computer yeah. that has a limited amount of RAM. Mm-hmm. It has a CPU limit. It has a processing limit. I really always try and revert back to my brain. And I even, well, even more so like an iPhone, I guess, because you've got a battery life on that iPhone. Oh, no. And it's like the more apps are open, the quicker your battery will drain. So I like to think about my brain it, literally in terms, it's kind of ironic because it's like you're trying to move away from that. Yeah. But I think it's like the stuff that you do to make your phone last longer yep. and work better 
would be the same that you do for your brain. Close all yeah. the apps, turn the brightness down, stop the notifications. Like whatever yeah. you do on your phone to make that battery last longer yep. works for your brain too in, in my head. Yeah, and mate, I'm all about that analogy. Um, I'll share kind of a, a little bit of my philosophy of how I think that I work with people because mm. um, I like what you just said there. And, you know, when I'm working with a physical body and, and a mind as well, I like to um, map out or help map out what's going on within somebody's body. So I'll do a three or four hour assessment as the first thing um, that happens. Yep. And it's basically thinking about the body uh, and each individual is having their own software. Mm. And each individual has their own software and each individual has their own kind of blueprint as well. And the blueprint would be represented as that individual's potential. Mm. And my job is to dive into the software and check out and search for where the glitches are. Are the, Where are the glitches physically? Where are the glitches mentally? And how are those glitches preventing you from being at your potential? And if I can help to map out uh, what we need to do physically, whether we need to mobilize certain things, stretch very specifically, or, or create stability or strength in a certain area, that helps to resolve that glitch in the software, then that's what we've got to do. Or whether there's certain beliefs that lie within the subconscious, within the mind, that are limiting or sabotaging the person's potential, then let's take a dive on where those glitches are too and let's work and create a plan on how to resolve and bring that person back into their highest potential, basically. So a similar analogy of, yeah. of working with our bodies as, as software or as um, technology. What you, the way that you talk and the, the way that I see you training people because I follow your Instagram, I'm always looking at your stuff. And it's like, uh, it, it seems like the way that you teach and coach is uncommon. So it's like, it's interesting to me that you go to school to get a certificate or whatever. And it's like you get given these base set of skill sets that every other trainer leaves with. But then to become a person like you that will, you know, you're training like Mick Fanning and Harley and these elite guys, like you've got some swimmers that you work with that are like Olympic dudes. And it's so to get to that level, how much more research do then you have to do? Like it almost people come to you for what you've done outside of training once you've kind of left school or whatever and mm. it just seems so interesting that you know like the deeper you dive and the the harder you go with like trying to build up yourself and your own knowledge mm. that is what cr then credentials you because it's like it, there's a base level credentials that anyone could get but to be at your level it's so much more investment from yourself yeah I th that's i can only teach someone to be like me yeah it's all i can do so the level that I work on myself or go inward within me is only or is to the degree that I can take somebody. I can only take somebody as far as I Your have taken myself. Yeah. So if I want to be the best version of me as a coach, then 
I would take a deep fucking dive in myself yeah. and, and analyze and be the technician on myself mentally and physically. Um, so, yeah, that's how I, that's the belief that I hold. Yeah. Um, which drives me to um, not be perfect, but to work on my potential. Mm. And, and then, therefore, that has that ripple effect into who I work with. So, yeah, it's so it's so interesting because you can you can see so many trainers and it's like they'll do it's the same sort of reps or the same activities, the same like you sort of see it everywhere. And then you see a guy like you and I think I was wondering too maybe with to go back to the Harley stuff. It's mm. like did he fall in love with training obviously with the style but it seemed like you just weren't thrashing him at the start. It just no. seems like these movements where you're like oh that i could see that doing something but it's like (laughs) he's a world champion wakeboard guy it's like shouldn't you be working harder than that so is it like this sort of slow build and these like different mobility and strengthening exercises that don't look very hard Mm. but it seems to have been something that like really let him fall in love with training because i think that the average person will go to training get fucking like slammed and then struggle to recover for their next session. Mm. And then it just becomes this like beat down. Yep. And it, it's hard to love something that is constantly beating you down. So it seems like your philosophy and the style that you train, even though it doesn't look like it's crazy effective, it sort of looks counterintuitive. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, and you're exactly right. And uh, a very common comment that I that I get is, fuck that's way harder than it looks <laughs> yeah um but yeah to to break down the the journey for harley is that and with anyone with an injury or anyone that is feeling limited with their physical body uh that assessment that i mentioned is me looking for where the imbalances lie within the body um what's going on from a postural perspective uh because Posture is a is a thing to go constantly go back to if somebody's say limited in their rotation. Um, you know, if someone's got a huge kyphosis or um, is that shoulders forward? That shoulders yeah. forward and a big round back, then you know their rotation is very limited. But if you work on all of the the muscles and the mobility that pulls that person into being more open and then you test their rotation yeah. again, it's far greater. Yeah. Uh, that's just one little example of, of how posture. And that happens all through the body, right? All through the body. It's kind of... It's very rarely like if you've got a sore hip, it's a hip problem. Yeah. It's, it's I, I think, of the body globally. I think of it as... Um, you know, something up here affects what happens down there. Uh, an example of, of how maybe the neck has a hierarchy over the hips mm. is that if somebody's first uh, vertebrae is out and they have like a, a slight subluxation, whether it's tilt or, or being pulled across, then the hips have to sit underneath the head. Mm. So the hips will migrate to the left as well. Um, now, what does that do to the spine in between? Well, it creates different curvatures. Yeah. So you can maybe, and that imbalance that now lies in the hips 
you can do all the hip shit you like. You can stretch mm. that thing, mob that thing, try and create stability around the hips. But if you've got this first vertebrae subluxation, then you need to go to that mm. and you need to address that and pull that head back into being in neutral again. So the hips follow and then you watch what happens to the lower back pain or the mm. hip issues. So it's it's a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. And I'm constantly... You know, it's like a whack-a-mole sort of situation, oh, right? hundred yeah. percent. And, you know, I'm never going to stop learning about the body. I don't fucking know it all, yeah. but I'm so interested in the, the jigsaw puzzle of it and um, how, things, how things work and coincide with each other. It hasn't been until I started jiu-jitsu that I got as into my body as I have because that's literally your protection. Like, yeah. To get to stop getting the shit beat out of you, you just need your body to work. Yeah. And it's like, you know, as you'd know, being that you've started, it's like putting your leg into a certain position that requires a lot of mobility is the difference between getting past yeah. and then being pinned on your back in a super uncomfortable position mm. where you're not in control. And it's like the, the win or loss of that particular scenario depends entirely on the mobility of your like mm. femurs rotation in your pelvis yeah so like to me and i've noticed through my own now i do a lot of stretching i try and do a lot of mobility work i know my head's definitely got a tilt to it i know that i've got you know some problems with my shoulders but i can feel that i think that because of the amount of times i've broken my collarbones mm. that there's like it's actually pinches in here when i do try and stretch so it's like yeah i've noticed so much now because i've sort of putting my body through these extreme tests it just becomes so evident all of the stuff that's wrong yeah 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 and you can get really you can get super detailed and there's a time and place for that if you are resolving um say pain or there's specific things that are limiting you you know as the hip uh, mobility example um but yeah it's also a balance of not getting too caught up yeah. in being perfect yeah. as well um, because yeah again that's never going to happen yeah. you're not going to you're not going to have someone who's the the straightest human ever yeah. because one we've got a big liver that sits on the right that um, influences our balance and our weight distribution um, and we've got lots of asymmetries within the body you know um, you kick a ball as a kid even with you, balance yeah you, you become right-footed then that plays on it too but um so it's finding the balance in that side of it as well um yeah so with um with harley's knee then so have is there like a specific protocol that you've developed to deal with injuries and you know sort of if that's the injury that that there's certain specific things that you're going to try and do to sort of get him on the road because you're doing the same thing with Mick Fanning with his ACL, right? Yeah, yeah, there is there is specifics uh, as a generalization. Um, first, you must uh, mobilize before you can stretch because if a joint is um, immobile, mm. then stretching's not going to do anything. So first, you must mobilize. And then you must stretch and lengthen what needs to be lengthened, what's short and tight in the body. That could be influencing the, um, the increased pressure on Harley's ACL. 
because in this example, uh, we found that he had a lot more uh, medial rotation or internal rotation through mm. his through his hip. So that had an influence on where his body or knee would go during landing and impact. And if repetition after repetition and repetition of medially rotating and dropping in, that has an effect on the joint. And a move could be the straw on the camel's back. Mm. And boom, pop. So with with finding these things out, um, I've got to search for where the immobility lies and then I have to lengthen the specific things that might be increasing his internal rotation. And then after you've lengthened, then you move towards stability. So every joint uh, has you know, its optimal position. And from a scientific perspective, that's called a joint centration. So joints need to be um, centrated. So now we need to create stability around the joint and all the detailed intricate parts of the body need to um, work to, to stabilize that joint specifically and now you're having to start to work with the brain body connection because just say my shoulder sits forward like this my brain thinks that that's what central is mm. but now we have to retrain the pathway from brain to shoulder to what new or the proper centrated yeah, position is. is. Yeah. So that's where, as you described, these exercises that look intricate and detailed, but you know, don't look overly hard. Well, those exercises become a lot friggin' harder when somebody's specific joint isn't used to being in being that position. There. So people, you know, find it difficult to to stay in that position. Uh, if we use this shoulder analogy. Um, you know, that's where the shoulder is strongest for them at the time, but it's not necessarily in its central position, which means that there's shortness and tightness in one area and you're, and you're long and weak mm. in its opposite or antagonist. Yeah, yeah. And it's when you're long and weak and short and tight in different areas that you, you're moving the joint in, um, you know, positions that put it under more stress yeah you have like less mobility in that position yeah yeah it can be that uh or it some some impact might just like you know dislocate it or rupture yeah. it or, 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 or whatever so how long like if you just get an average person that comes in off the street and then they do have like the rounded shoulders or tight shoulders head forward because there is sort of like a classic postural um, I guess like disease, I guess it would be like maybe the easiest way to say it. You've mm. got like head forward, rounded shoulders, the spine's curved, and then, you know, your hips are, you've got like a weird tilt going on your hips. Like mm. how long would it take for a person that is com in the average case that's committed to training um, those type of deficiencies? Mm. How long does it take to transform into good posture? Yeah, it's there's so there's it would a lot be of very case by case. Yeah, very, yeah. a lot of variables. Um, you know, my my minimum of coming to see me is three months, but the average is nine to twelve months um, that I work with someone. Um, 
So yeah, you're looking within those those sorts of of ranges. Um, in highly or mixed case, you're going from a total rupture in the knee back into needing to be very sports specific mm. and heavy landing and things that you know um, are really putting a lot of pressure back on that joint. So that time frame is very variable, but yeah, you know, as a generalization, six nine nine sort of months mm. if you're really dialing it in yeah because the journey of it too you know you be very phase one which is the joint centration yeah part that i was talking about but now that person needs to transition back into their sport so exercise that the, the individual needs to progress with their exercises so that the exercises start to become a lot more Specific yeah. to what you need to be doing back out on the playing field, so you know towards the the end of it before Harley started wakeboarding, I needed to get him doing wakeboarding exercises to test out what level we're at with that knee, how to do to what degree can you land on that thing and eccentrically load a lot of that knee, and we had to figure that out before he was allowed to go. All right, now you can get out there again. So the journey is from being very detailed and specific through to being sport specific and might not be sport specific. It might also be uh, work specific. I work with quite a, a few dudes who live in the mines mm. and they do a lot of lifting and rotating and, and you know, bending and, and twisting and things like that. So for me, I get to map out what that individual needs to work back towards. So we need to do specific bending, twisting, rotating and lunging type movements that are going to get that person back into work a lot more functional than what created their pain or their issue. Yeah. Is it almost pointless to go in the gym and do like your traditional lifting style of exercises if your joints aren't centrated and if you don't have everything in alignment and good sort of good posture and and then go from there if that makes sense no i no see i don't um i wouldn't say i wouldn't say so i would i would uh suggest people continuously check in on things like their posture and their form with exercises um i would say that would be the case if you're battling with an injury and maybe feeling like you're beating your head against the wall mm. and continuing to try and lift heavy or, or do, you know, some, some bigger complex movements. If, if you're finding yourself in that position, then, yeah, maybe you need to take a few backward steps and mm. work on stabilizing and, and checking in on what's happening with the body and build yourself back up mm. to, to those things again. Um, but if, again, like because there is no perfect posture uh everyone has their individuality with their bodies too so somebody's round somebody's round shoulders might um might work for them with uh, you know the specifics mm. that they are wanting to achieve um so yeah again a lot of variables very case about. by case mm. with the um so my general uh, routine that I would do is every night I try I've got a lacrosse ball I've got some little sort of um, 
jigsaw mats so that because we've just got timber floors yeah and then i'll get a spe- this my right hip is like the worst one yeah and i feel like i've been trying to get my butterfly stretch yeah to the ground basically that's mm-hmm. sort of like one of my um, flexibility goals yeah but i feel like the right hip it just gets to a point and it's not stretching my groin anymore or like those muscles it's just mm. locked up in the hip yeah so then i'll get on my massa of my lacrosse ball and i'll just get all in that joint and i'll work it around and then i've got a so right so then i get on the mm. the so right and i'll sort of try and loosen up that right psoas muscle which i do feel is tight yeah and then i stretch and then it goes down and i can get way deeper into the stretch mm. but it feels like it's just that's the constant thing it's like that hip doesn't get better yeah yeah so if we go back to the kind of um periodization progress that i was mentioning earlier is that what lies before stretching or needing to lengthen is mobility mm. um and in certain cases that may mean certain manual work from a mobility perspective on the right hip are you a fan of the lacrosse ball and all of those kind of stretching yeah, apparatus 100 percent. yeah love it um but if there's the issue still kind of pops up then yeah you're looking at what maybe needs to be mobilized or stabilized yeah in the system yeah because that's definitely that's sort of where my head's at like i've been getting a lot more into it lately and and it's interesting to figure out what's good what's bad what like my hamstrings are quite flexible Mm -hmm. but then i can't do any side split at all basically so it's like they're so tight but the hamstrings are good and then my uh what's the piriformis muscle yeah in your butt yeah i can go fairly deep into those stretches but i've got so much tightness in the right hip Mm. so i think in my personal journey of mobility because i've sort of had in my goal and i was going to ask you if it's retarded or not (laughs) but in 12 months to be able to do the splits yeah yeah and i don't know if it's a possibility but that's sort of my goal because i feel like if i can get to that Mm -hmm. then a lot of other stuff will have to be mobilized if that makes sense yeah definitely uh if it if it has if you feel your goal has a carryover function to your requirements and for you jujitsu specifically um is that yeah that that has a carryover you know your flexibility range of motion through your hips is you know, as you were saying, to get it's crucial, so crucial yeah. to to frame correctly or to you know get get a triangle in a different position or, yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah, so that can be that can be a really cool goal. If I was mapping out and getting really individualized with it, it would be, you know, I'd be in my mind about okay, from whilst I'm assessing you and checking in on what's uh, going on with your body is that going to is that lengthening going to maybe destabilize anywhere mm. and have any issues elsewhere yeah and and really yeah check in with that, that makes as sense well. that that could also be an issue mm. right yeah because we can be tie ourselves in knots um but that's not necessarily good for our body and yeah. i think you know i want to touch on yoga as one example is that People might come come to me and you know say that uh, I've got this I've got this pain, but you know I'm very flexible and very mobile. Mm. I don't know what's going on. Well, in yoga, you might be stretching muscles that are already long and weak, 
And if you're stretching muscles that are already long and weak, you're destabilizing yourself further and further, mm-hmm. creating more issues for yourself. Yeah. So you you might be good in certain poses or be able to lengthen yourself in certain ways, but that might be further ingraining an issue for your body or for your stability. Um, and and that can be the same when we, we are stretching. We might feel like, fuck, I'm amazing at this stretch. Yeah. But, you know, the at the same time, it's like, well, what about its antagonist? What, what Where are you more tight and need more lengthening? And maybe what you're good at stretching needs more stabilizing. Yeah. It needs to be strengthened a little bit more. So that's that's how case by case mm. that's how individualized it it can become yeah so i've been thinking that my next step with this whole um mobility sort of goal of mine is to i think i'm gonna have to go now to somebody because it's almost like i've not hit my limits i'm sure i could like push through it but I, I can sort of actively feel like there's definitely some shit that's stopping some stuff moving mm. and that to me is like joints that aren't mobile all the way yeah yeah so it's like i think i need to diagnose those problems and then work on the what is like you said short and weak essentially Mm, yeah yeah definitely it's always always good to have um you know it's very hard to look at our own bodies and know where the imbalances lie Mm. you know i um do a lot of stability and training on myself but i also you know get um one of my mates who's also does a similar thing to me to check out my body and check in on on what's where where some of that those imbalances are too um so yeah it's always good to have that outside view and opinion on what's going on um and then yeah to help somebody manually mobilize something is also something that's required yeah no it definitely makes sense and like i i'm a big research person like when i have a topic that i'm interested in i love to research and acquire knowledge on that but i just i think that especially when it comes to the human body there's you know if you want to go into the youtube rabbit hole and if you want to do that there's there's a lot of great stuff but at the start you don't know what's good and you don't know what's bad so you take on Mm. everything when there's a lot of people out there that really don't know what they're talking about so like with when it comes to the body Mm. i just feel like to go to somebody like yourself or somebody that is a real professional identifying those Areas and then really giving you like a, a good target of where to go from there. Yeah. And I mentioned before when how I was talking about how coachable you are, um, I mentioned who do you listen to? And that's an important, important thing. You know? um, if you were to go see your doctor about your health, you'd want to ask them to take their shirt off and show me your health how you look, what your physicality is like, what your health is like. Because if you're teaching me and telling me about health, Mm. then show me that you live and breathe it. And that's... Is that a big problem, do you think? Huge. Yeah. Yeah, huge. You know? um, Because that's kind of what I was saying before, is like you are on such a extreme level of... um, It's like you're on a knowledge quest constantly. And you're always learning and you're, you have such a, like a calm uh, way of delivering information. You, you don't speak with ego. And it's like, to me, the guys like you are super rare, you, you know, to find someone that you can tell they do the work. Mm. It's just that doesn't seem like commonplace. Yeah. I, 
I suppose when you said knowledge quests there, maybe what I'm more on is more of a wisdom quest. Um, I think of knowledge as for the head and wisdom for the heart. And wisdom is the integration of knowledge to, because there's a lot of fucking knowledge out there. And you can be very knowledgeable, but um, you got to uh, integrate that into you mm. and practice that, whatever yeah. it is. You know, for whenever I'm listening to podcasts, you know, I want to be um, if I'm if I'm going to to listen and and listen to somebody I'm really interested about, then. I want to observe what they're talking about and how I can integrate that into my life and turn that from knowledge into wisdom because of, of created an, an experience from it or of it. Uh, and I think that's something that we kind of need to do more of yeah. is, is, is filter and work with all of the knowledge that's out there and, and, you know, one, sit with what really resonates and what we love learning about, you know, what your values are, and then really practicing integrating that and practicing what that person's saying or what that person's talking about and put it into your system. Um, don't just know about it so that you can um, talk about it with friends yeah. and, and say that you know this because knowledge is just knowledge and it's just for the head. But um, what more meaningful relationships are if two people are sharing more wisdom? Yeah. Uh, and that's something I, they're the people I love to hang around too, you know, is, um, and, and when I said bef- before that knowledge is for the head, wisdom is for the heart, another way, depending on how you look at things, is that you can say that knowledge is for the ego and yeah. that wisdom is for the soul. Yeah. Um, because again, if it's just knowledge for knowledge's sake, then it's for it how just you, becomes a shiny toy that you're showing. Yeah, it's just you're doing that for how you're perceived in the world. Yeah, and how you look to other people, and yeah, there's a lot of that that uh, probably needs to be worked on. I feel where where do you go for that kind of uh, teaching and that kind of learning? When did that sort of start? I guess it was back when you were um, when you got that six month period of sort of having to do that but sort of what really was the stuff that first got you like okay i need to work on this yeah uh for me uh it was my mentor it was jan and there were certain times where she just stopped me training and would stop and would sit down and the session would turn into a chat session because she could see that we just weren't getting anywhere physically. There was no need to beat a dead horse or um, maybe she could see that I was getting frustrated not being able to do something or something like that. And that became an opening for her to open me up to understanding what I'm thinking and, and feeling and how that is preventing Holding you back. my progress. So, man, we had, you know, as a, as a 16, 17-year-old, we... There was one day where, you know, and I thank her so much, she sat me down for five hours and she just cancelled the rest of her day because there was some there was a point she needed to get across. And from that day, it was like 
oh, I need I I need to dive in yeah. to me and check in with me because all the things she was saying, I was like, if I got real with myself. I was like, yeah, you know what? I am a fucking frustrated kid. Yeah, you know what? I'm you know wanting to do this sport out of how I would look to the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I'm fucking tired and it's exactly what I needed to hear. I needed someone to get real with me. And um, yeah, it catapulted me into a, a journey of uh, one of the first books that I that I read was by a, a guy called Deepak Chopra. Uh, it was called The Seven Spiritual Laws to Success. And it was kind of like seven laws that that Deepak had had set out and it you know was he would talk about quantum physics and quantum science he would talk about energy and he would talk about um, the unseen so our thoughts our emotions that we don't see them right but they manifest from being something unseen into a physical outcome whether that's me looking tense or being angry or, or whatever. So that dive of that like kind of uh, energy, kind of quantum world of, of was fascinating to me. So I started to see the power in the unseen and the power in my thoughts and things like that. So it just catapulted me into yeah, a journey of different books Um you know, wanting to learn more about that, um, you know, sourcing different mentors that were living and breathing the same things. Uh, so, yeah, that was quite a catalyst that, that time for me. And like I said, it was the best thing that happened to me. It seems like you almost need to find a person like what you said as a mentor that is walking the same path as that you want to be on, but they're just quite a bit further ahead yeah 100 percent, exactly and my you know i put it down to my my mentors i put it down to what i've learned from my mentors i don't when i that day it was like this is the best investment that i can make is in myself and um i've just chosen what i want to learn about sourced who's the best at that mm. and teach me teach me and show me where I'm doing it wrong and show me where I can grow and improve mm. and make progress in in that specific thing and uh yeah that's kind of uh the way I think about it I think that the one thing with me because I've always been invested in I think it's interesting what you said about knowledge is for the ego I think that there has been times where I was trying to acquire knowledge, but I wasn't truly living it in the way that you're talking about. Like, I actually can relate to that. And then the connection back to the ego has been something that I've been well and truly obsessed with lately, probably to a fault at times, is the, the ego. And I think that the podcast forced me to do that because my... I've said it on here a million times, like my biggest fear is people going, he's doing this because he wants to be, you know, blah, mm. blah, blah, or all of the egotistical things that could attached, be attached to that yep. thing. But I think that really it's, I love like to get here and to sit 
and listen to you with no distractions and nothing around and you can be uh exposed to so many ideas to me it's so selfish for me you know this process but the ego side of it i was like okay what are the things that i can do to really actively make sure that i am not speaking with ego which i do all the fucking time like you know i'm not perfect at all but it's like i really am on this active mission now to understand the ego and to a try as hard as I can to not live through that vessel because mm-hmm. I think that can take over people's lives and I think more people live live through their ego talk through their ego argue through their ego I'm one of the I argue through my ego a lot I'll just want to win that particular fight mm-hmm. as opposed to be a balanced you know person in, in that sense but it's like that to me and the concept of it has just become so important yeah oh it's a yeah, very, very important. And um, no, cool, cool share because uh, we we need an ego too. You mm-hmm. know, if we're talking ego and soul, they're two sides to the same coin. Yep. We have to, um, the way I think about it is that the ego needs to be a slave to your soul. Yeah. Every, everyone is an individual and has a soul's desire and drive. And I feel like it's kind of our mission to be able to align our ego to that. It's kind of like the, the two should so click in. the soul in. should drive the ego. The, the, soul, the, the soul should be the, um, yeah, the, the driving, driving force. It's like the ego is your Ferrari, but the soul's the one that should drive the Ferrari. Yes, exactly. Not the Ferrari driving the Ferrari. No, exactly, exactly. Because if you do that, now you're on you're on track, you're on to your purpose, your, your soul's desire, your goals, your mission. And it's been scientifically proven that people who are on their goals, mission, their their desire from a deeper level are people who live more happy and content. Mm. So if you create that alignment between the two, then you're a, you're a driving force in this world. And... Um, yeah, it's 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 super important because it also brings us so much more ease to to what we're doing. Uh, my my mentor Joe, um, she uh, has this this concept, and it's it's beautiful. I check in with it all the time. You know, you're in your ego if you are searching for acceptance, acknowledgement, appreciation, and approval outside of you and to the degree that we are searching for that outside of ourselves is to the degree that we don't give that to ourselves yeah so we don't give a pre we don't appreciate ourselves or acknowledge ourselves or approve or um yeah whatever the fourth one was that that i've forgot uh, but yeah, to, to that degree that we don't give it to ourselves is to the degree that we'll search for it outside of ourselves. Yeah. That's the ego. And um, if, if that's the case, then you know, we're going to have a hard time. I think the thing that I struggle with, though, is like to appreciate myself and to approve of myself. And that, to me, feels like ego. That's sort of the catch-22 that I mm. get stuck in. Like I had a conversation with... Um, Luke Cadell who he came on the podcast on Sunday and we were talking and we were just having lunch and he's like dude you're like 
you are down and you're, like you're struggling to admit to yourself that you're doing certain things well and right mm. and i think that it's like there there's a balance between being like genuinely like i feel hesitant to genuinely approve of myself at times because i still feel so far away from where i think i need to be yeah because you've been conditioned to think that way and you've been conditioned to think that uh i can only be as we all are we're all kind of conditioned that way that we are conditioned to that i can only accept myself when i reach a certain level Mm. but that's the world's biggest illusion it's the biggest distortion there is is that we're not perfect until Mm. um because the deeper that sits within us the more we're just searching outside of ourselves for ourselves Mm. again Uh, so it's because it's so deep and ingrained it's um it takes (laughs) yeah it takes a time and a lot of uh, awareness and you know I'm, and i'm not that's not me saying that fucking i've got that because mm. i'm constantly checking in with the same thing i think that everybody always is though right because yeah. i think you know it is there's a yin and yang to to everything and mm. i think that as you know the further you go in one direction i feel like the further whatever it is that you're trying to get away from it's like the stronger pull that it has you just now have more control over it if that makes sense because you think in terms of like a, a jiu-jitsu analogy would be like a black belt mm-hmm. it's like the better he gets the further away everyone else is but that gives him the power to just destroy everybody else so it's like you know the, the further you get towards the way you want to be the mm-hmm. more in check you have to keep and that's the stronger the pull to do what you're trying to get away from yeah 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 for sure um there's a a cool one thing that I like to to work with, one with myself and kind of introduce into clients is um, uh, archetypes. So an archetype is, it's kind of like the roles that we play. Um, And it's one word that describes a lot of traits for somebody. So if you were to say that guy over there has the athlete archetype, well then in your mind you run through all of the things that he probably does okay he probably trains hard um has to eat a certain way sleep a certain amount he's talented he's from talented you know physically looks after his body blah 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 um you know there can be the mother archetype there's archetypes for everything if you think of the mother it's like oh she's probably up at night she's probably packing lunches breastfeeding you know whatever it rattles off a lot in your mind um well there's with all sorts of different archetypes um there's also ones that help us become more aware of ourselves and there's a perfectionist mm. archetype um but when we are the perfectionist or we're living and that that archetype is online for us which it is for a lot of us, um, the perfectionist is just trying to manage shame. Mm. It's constantly just trying to manage where and when it feels shamed. And yeah, we are, we're all born into that. We're kind of born into this, this realm of, mm. of, of feeling that way. Uh, um, so 
I feel that it's cool to check in on those perfectionist parts of ourselves and see if, you know, what am I trying to manage when I'm trying to be perfect? Uh, Because if I'm just trying to manage shame, then I'm trying to manage how I'm perceived in this world. perception, which... Yeah. goes back to the ego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting. I had a conversation with a friend the other day and um, it was about people that have abilities and talent and are intelligent. And because I think potentials may be one of the most crushing things that anybody can be blessed with. The more potential that you have, then the more potential for failure, which would then induce that shame thing. And I think that so much... Um, cause I know in my life personally, I'm met with a lot of internal resistance and there's, it's a weird relationship because on one hand I can be so productive and I can be so hardworking and I can commit to doing so much, but then I'm met with just insane amounts of resistance that are in it's internal. And there's some days I literally just, you can't get off the couch mm-hmm. and you, you cannot do anything. And it's such a, that's such a weird juxtaposition, I think, to be like, you almost feel crippled by your potential, which then I guess is what you're sort of saying is like that perfectionism kicks in. It's because if people know, like, like how many people have you go like, man, he's the most talented dude. If he'd just work hard and if he'd just, Mm. I don't think a lot of that is laziness. I think that is more the fear of like an extreme failure, fear of, failure because Mm. the potential to be great is so high yeah mate on the money because the the thing that we're fearful of most is our potential the fearful the thing we're fearful of most is um yeah our light basically and uh yeah it's back to the conditioning thing and yeah because we really are conditioned to um like really be mindful of what people think of us Mm. and because really that's how society functions society functions because we can all be together and think kind of highly of each other Mm. and that's what sort of pushes society forward right yeah 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 pushes pushes us forward but um but then it's also what cripples us because the expectation is so high to perform yeah because and and how it cripples is that individuals when the ego kicks in want to be perceived as being better Mm. than than others um and it comes into this balance again is it better for the ego and how you're perceived or is it better because you're pushing your potential Mm. and pushing the potential of what people can do Mm. and depending on which intention you have determines uh how how healthy it is Mm. So how would you then go about trying to reconcile those issues and stop looking for the outside approval and just doing doing the thing for yourself, wanting to win a competition for yourself, wanting to put out a podcast for yourself, wanting to get in shape for yourself? How, mm. What are the steps that you think you would need to take to start? And are there concepts that you think uh, might help? Yeah, I think first... It's um, it's doing it for yourself, but at the same time, it is having it's kind of a service to other people mm. as well. Um, 
in in a sporting performance perspective is that if you're wanting to be the best in your sport, you're doing that for yourself, your experiences and experience what comes with that. Mm. But you're also doing it to help people see the potential of where the body and the mind can go. Mm. And that's important because that keeps us growing. That keeps us moving forward. You know, the two-hour, somebody um, just broke the two-hour marathon marathon record. record And, you know, fuck, that's just showing our potential. Yeah. And if he did that, uh, you know, you look at the, the energy of that dude and he's like, you know, he's he's not ego. He's like, you know, there's parts of him that had the drive to do what he did because it's showing what we can do mm. and the potential that we have. Um, but if he was just purely ego-driven, then um, maybe he wouldn't have made that two-hour record. Yeah. Who knows? I think the thing with being very ego driven is that you're biting your nose to spite your face in a way, because if it's only ego driven, it's only for people's approval, Mm. then a lot of times that approval just doesn't come. Mm. And then you're met with challenges. And then when you're met with challenges, then and like setbacks, then that is stuff that is perceived like negatively i guess you'd say so if you're only doing it for other people's perceptions i think they're the kind of people that struggle to push through the hard times and when they are met with challenges and i think that's why anybody in the middle of something i think that money is a good example the poorest of the poor Mm. are always very humble Mm. relatively happy because they've got nothing They've, they've got no nothing to show Mm. and then their ego's got nothing that's being sort of uh, serviced. Yeah. And then you've got the people at the top end of the spectrum, the Warren Buffetts, the Steve Jobs, the Bill Gates, giving away billions of dollars, very philanthropy-focused, mm. and you see that there is no ego there mm. because it's, to me and the, the very wealthy people that I've had interactions with, they're just kind of over it. They realize mm. that any of the material stuff, any of the accolades, any of the money in the bank, it, it's all sort of the same once yeah. you hit a certain point. And then they find that they're met with the same problems as if you didn't have any money. And yep. then it's sort of, that's where they get a little bit detached. But it's the people in the middle. Mm. The dude that leases a Porsche. Mm. Or, you know, the, the, the guy that's on the world tour, but he's not one of the top guys and he's constantly got something to prove i feel like it's always the the people at the very top and i think it's because you don't get to the very top with your ego as the driving force yeah yeah no exactly and it becomes about an identity thing and being attached to an identity yeah you know if i if i have an attachment to being taylor the coach then everything needs to revolve around me being that so if I was to say fall sick or get injured and not be able to work mm. and I lose my identity and that puts me in a lot of pain and hurt, well, that's only to the degree that of my attachment to the identity of being a coach. Mm. The same as being a surfer or you know, a wakeboarder is that 
you know, if you have such an attachment to that identity, then it's it, it's very difficult to um, have the the deeper right intentions mm. behind what you're doing, um, and that's why athletes have a hard time when they are injured, yeah, or, or when they retire, or when they retire. You know, we see that a lot. Is that they retire? Who are they now? Yeah, they don't realize that they're still themselves on that deeper level. Yeah, that they always have been, and that they have never been the who that they've never been their identity yeah it's only our minds that create that yeah so when we don't have our identity anymore then that yeah creates a lot of pain and uh, and people struggle yeah so just like f- for you is like who is um who is jace when he's not um doing podcasts or doing jujitsu yeah it's a cool question to ask ourselves and it's almost like we do get more of a choice in that than we think right because the there you know like the perception versus reality meme like that's a pretty cool like the reason that's so successful is because it's fucking bang on the money yeah you know like how i think i'm a training versus how i am a training or whatever it is it's like we are so influenced by what we perceive other people to perceive of us yeah it's a weird exchange of we're not really getting first-hand information mm. it's like our consciousness is trying to perceive how other people perceive it's yeah. a that's not a very good solid like if that was anything in science they'd be like well it we're trying to figure out how if it looks like how i think it looks from them you'd be like yeah. that doesn't really make sense yeah so it's almost like you're better off to just only invest in cultivating your own true identity with yourself from the inside out because we have so little control over outside in or in to out out to in fuck yeah essentially yeah mate 100 percent. i love that i feel like that's just a little light bulb moment for me (laughs) sick (laughs) well uh i don't know if you've heard a dude called dr joe Dispenza. no he's really ahead of the game with neuroscience and um a neuroplasticity and neuroplasticity is the concept or the now scientifically proven concept that our brain is adaptable and we can rewire parts of our brain if you were to think that you have a certain thought well in your brain there's neural pathways and synaptic wiring that solidify that thought really strong and if you think that thought constantly and constantly and constantly then the stronger that neural pathway gets Mm. and if it's a certain thought that isn't necessarily serving you well uh, we have the ability to rewire our brain and just like you work a muscle in the gym and it gets stronger and stronger we can do that with our brains. And this is what Joe Despons is talking about. We have the ability to say, work on not strengthening the negative thought yeah, and allowing that to atrophy yeah, and then rewiring and strengthening more of what we do want. And that's what neuroplasticity is. So he talks about when we're on the, on the um, concept of, of reality, he says that, we start, it starts with a thought, and a thought turns into a feeling. And a feeling turns into an emotion. An emotion turns into a mood. A mood 
turns into a temperament, mm. a longer-lasting mood. Yep. And a temperament is our personality. Exactly. And our personality is our personal reality. Yeah. So the reality or the lens that I look at life through is due to this kind of linear approach that I have with myself. So if I draw it back into, well, what are my thoughts? What's my internal dialogue? Because that's influencing how I feel, my emotional state, my moods, my temperament, my personality, and how I look at life. And then your personality is like your vehicle that you let people interpret you as a person. Exactly. And so that's when you can start to read somebody without them saying something. Mm. It's like I can see, you know, you can see the physical effects that your thoughts, feelings, and emotions have had on your being mm. and your body. So it's powerful shit because then somebody's thoughts and feelings are going to influence somebody's posture. Mm. You know, if I didn't like myself and I felt like I needed to hide away from the world, then I might form a posture that's hiding or guarding my heart. Mm. And that increases the curvature in your back. It brings your head more forward. It rolls your shoulder forward. And now you've got shoulder issues and now you've got neck issues and all these problems going on. And that is the the picture that you're presenting to the world. And like you said, you can judge somebody based on how they look and mm. you know they don't even have to say something. You can tell, like I, you, you see a lot of that with like really tall girls that mm. don't play sport. If you see a really tall girl that plays netball, mm. like at a higher level, she's very like proud and tall. Mm. Yep. And then you see other tall girls with around their short friends and they're not wearing heels and they're kind of yep. trying to get on the level. And like you can instantly see like, oh, she doesn't want to be this tall. Yeah. And yeah, because the, the tribal mentalities that we form of what the ideal girl is. She should look like, yeah, yeah. yeah. She should look at this height and this weight and mm. this this skinny and a boob should look like this and a butt should look like that. And um, that's a tribal mentality that we create. Mm. And um, yeah, it's it now creates beliefs. It in, instills beliefs and it instills and thoughts. And it goes back to her thoughts, yeah. And it goes back to her thoughts and her linear approach yeah. to her reality. Yeah. So yeah, it's if we can check in on what tribal mentalities we're kind of in yeah. and influence us, then we bring more awareness to how we run. The thoughts thing is crazy. Like on the weekend, I was just a little thing that someone said and it fucking lived with me all day and I had a shit day and I feel like everything around me turned to shit and then I woke up on Sunday and I was fucking still shitty and it was so, it was very eye-opening in a way because it was like I knew this was going on and I just didn't have the control that I wished I had over just this one tiny thing that was said and I just stewed on it all day. And they're the times where you say, like, you've got to check in. That's a, That was a real reality check for me of, like, I just let this thing fester and I mm. knew it was happening and I watched it happen and it still swept me away and all of the emotions and then the way that I was interfacing with the world and then how I perceived myself there was a real snowball effect and it was so mm. evident and I know the exact moment and thought and I am I knew what was going on and I still couldn't change it. Yeah, yeah. It's and crazy. Yeah, it happens to all of us all the time, right? Um, 
And you know, one of the one of the first steps in that um, that I've been taught and and practice and and love to share is that we have to just also acknowledge that that's how we feel. Mm. Um, because if we f- think that feeling that way is a, a bad thing, then we're also shaming ourselves for feeling that way. Mm. And now we're not acknowledging and accepting that that's just how I feel. And the the acceptance part is the process leading back into being able to work on it. Mm. Because if I just try and work on it out of trying to just fix myself, I'm still working out of shame again. Mm. Here's my perfectionist kicking in again, just trying to fix me. So the just acknowledging that that's you know how you felt is kind of the first thing that we have to um, and how, practice. how do you go about that acknowledgement phase? Because I think that I could sit there like I felt like I knew what was going on. Mm. But yep. I just still, I don't know. It's like I just couldn't let go of the thing. Yeah. I i love to take a third-person view of myself. Mm. It's like, oh, that's interesting. Taylor is getting really frustrated about this. I wonder where that's coming from. Mm. I wonder why that's the case. That's okay. But I'm just intric- interested and intrigued as to why that's the case. Mm-hmm. And when I take that third person view, it's kind of like I'm not my anger Mm. or I'm not my frustration. And it's a nice, it's a nice kind of halt on it. It's like it helps to go, oh, fuck. Wow, I'm, I'm feeling this way. Yeah. And I'm watching Taylor play that out in a specific way. And, and then if you're being that third person view, you could almost be like, I've seen this movie. Mm, like, yeah. do I, and it's like a choose your own adventure thing. Like, do I want it to be that movie that had that shitty ending? Mm. Or do I want it to be this movie where yeah. the hero fucking saves the day yep. as opposed to the dude just gets the shit kicked out of him? Because yep. it's like, that's what I knew that I was in for one of those days. Yeah. And I was just so fuck. And I was just like, I always try to be positive. I think, mm. I guess, I don't know, maybe not everyone does, but I feel like I try to be positive and I was just, I couldn't fucking stop myself from saying negative shit and, you know, I've gotten an argument, just stuff like that. And it's just, it is so hard to detach from, like you said, that feeling when mm. you are in that moment. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is because from a scientific perspective is that when we feel that way, we start to flood our brain with the chemicals and hormones that put us in a fight or flight state. Mm. And we only have a short period of time to make the call to make the call yeah. to stop that or take that third person view before the brain is flooded with those chemicals and hormones. That makes sense. And if they're flooded with those chemicals and hormones, you've just got to accept that that's how you feel for now. Maybe we need to go for a walk or put ourselves... Um, and do something that we love or just you know go for a a walk on the beach or Mm. go for a swim a surf whatever needs to be done um but yeah you've got 90 seconds before we start to flood the brain really uh in with the the chemicals and hormones that make us feel that way that put us in a fight or flight state Mm. and then from there we have uh it, it takes roughly four to six hours for those chemicals and hormones to die off 
and our body mo- to move back to, to homeostasis. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, we had uh, Rob Beams on the podcast. He's a like a health and wellness dude from the States, and he works with a lot of athletes as well. Awesome. And he was the one that really started talking to me about serotonin mm. and um, and the, the different stress hormones that you have in your body as well with cortisol and mm. like to start to think about your brain as this cocktail that's just like constantly feeding yourself with um essentially like controlling your emotions and it's like if you think about when you do you like okay i'm gonna do cocaine it's like you know what is going to be released into your body if you've had it before you know how you're gonna feel Mm. but it's like if you start to think about that in terms of the shit that's already in your brain like i'm gonna give myself a a hit of serotonin Mm. or i'm gonna give myself a hit of cortisol Mm. like if you can think about like trying to even regulate these chemicals in your own brain then it's like you sort of maybe we have more control than what we think it's Mm. just that because we're not putting it in a line on a table and doing it that we don't think we have that level of control yeah yeah um i think uh wim hof is a is a pretty cool example of being able to be in control um, with his ability to control his um, immune system and his nervous system um there's studies done on Wim where he has the ability to regulate his body temperature, mm. which is a nervous system thing. And an autonomous nervous system thing. Yeah, it like, w- was called the autonomous yeah, nervous system. Yeah. But now he has a new chapter in a biology book that um, kind of wipes that wipes that floor of really? calling so it they're the, like basically accepting that it mm, is now something that we can control. Yeah, chapter 22 in the biology te- textbooks really? is, uh, is a study on Wim Hof. Um, and his ability to, to control these things. Um, yeah, and you know the, one of the examples for the immune system is that they injected him with a dead strand mm, of E. coli. Yeah. And he had the ability to flush that out without evoking the normal immune responses of throwing up, shitting on the toilet, um, fevers and so on, mm. um, which is amazing. But the other fascinating thing was that he coached sixteen other people to do the same to do thing. the same yep. thing. So you know he's not the, just a genetic freak. That's the thing that we all like to think about, and I think that you can use that same thought process in everyday life. Like I look at a guy like you, and then knowing the things that you do and the routines you have in place and the the teachings that you are constantly like learning about, and it's like. I'm like, oh, he's just fucking, that's just him. He's just a genetically better person or whatever. And that's the same thing with Wim, Wim Hof. Mm. You look at him and it's like, well, it's it, it's got to just be his genetics because I think subconsciously we all know that we have that in ourselves and then that is that resistance and it's like, it, this is too big of a project to undertake. And I feel like that at times with myself. I'm like fuck, I just don't know that I could be the dude that gets up at four every day and does a half hour of meditating. Mm. But it's like there's no genetic super freak shit no. going on there. It's just a person that has, whether it's been an instant choice and they've done it from day one or it's a gradual thing that's happened over years, yep. they have cultivated that for themselves. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, I, mate, I was the angriest, frustrated football little kid competitive as all shit dude <laughs> you know 
and um, I feel like I've really turned a lot of that around just with you know these practices that we're that we're talking about um you know I didn't like you know I was I was good at school but you know I didn't really like English for what as one example but whilst I've been working on myself now I just fucking love reading and mm-hmm. I write every single morning and I just have this fascination with language and and how it interacts into into our life and um if if you ask me that i would be doing that you know back then i'd be like no way i hate Mm. that stuff but now i put that down to yeah the the inner journey and and the working on myself to having a fascination with these things Mm. um so yeah i really feel like i'm a bit of a 180 dude um, in, in that respect. That's interesting. Cause I, you obviously I haven't known you for that long, but you just get this persona and you get that, you know, the perception, oh, sorry, perception of your persona. And you're like, he's always just been this super chilled, super balanced sort of guy that, you know, people seem to just gravitate towards for that energy. Mm, yeah. But, um, yeah, not always the case, I suppose. But you're an angry cunt at one point. Of, yeah, of <laughs> fucking psycho. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wonder too with, uh, with the jiu-jitsu stuff because I love confrontation. Mm. I love to get in, be in an argument. Mm-hmm. I love to get into a fight. I love to be in that kind of conflict state. I f- find it relaxing almost. Mm. And I vi- verbal arguments, not so much, but definitely physical altercations i seem to relax yep. in that state and but i feel like you people that know me sort of know that that's my personality across the board mm. and i'll i don't back down from basically any situation and to a fault in a lot of scenarios yeah but then i look at i look at that and i'm like well that works for jiu-jitsu because yep. i just love to get in there and fight people mm. so and you're forced to do that every day yeah and then i with you it's like you're such a calm person that seems to be just balanced to the point where you're not even getting into confrontations Mm. like how does how do you feel when you are in that fight scenario with jiu-jitsu yeah uh my love for jiu-jitsu is uh the combination of it being a physical game of chess Mm. that requires a creative side to it it's, so, a, it's an art at the same time yeah because there's so much instinct yeah yeah exactly you, you it's it's not quite chess because you need to be creative and instinctual with what the next move is and there isn't a lot of rules yeah really especially yeah. when it comes to movement yeah yeah so for me um you know putting my mind and body together and putting that to the test is a part of why I love jiu-jitsu. Mm. Um, the confrontational aspect, you know, we live in a we live in a third dimension, third dimensional place, and we're always going to be in contact with people. We need to have relationships, and we need to know how to communicate and work with each other. And um, jiu-jitsu forces you to do that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, w- with with the, the confrontational part of it is that um yeah it's like a nice test for me mm. every day when i do it what what did you think before you started uh, of jiu-jitsu like what did before you went to your first class 
what were your expectations of what it was going to feel like and what it was going to be? Because um, how long have you been doing it now? I've been doing it for seven months. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, man, I was pretty open with my expectations rolling into it. Uh, but, you know, I knew there was a, a physical confrontational part to it. Yeah. Um, and I knew that it required a, a tactical part to it. I knew that it required me to um, have to be calm and centered enough to learn what I had to learn. And yeah, I was just open and excited to what it was going to be. Yeah. And um, yeah, my first class was like, well, I've got a lot to learn. Yeah. Yeah. You got that feeling of like, <laughs> I got that, got, I got that feeling of yeah. um, this is a, this is a long-term journey. Yeah. And there's definitely, one. there's definitely a feeling of like helplessness too, where you're like, I probably should know this. Yeah. When you see just how bad people can like literally help, like literally helpless against yeah. people. And to have that feeling, I think that that was one of the things for me where I was like, I need to learn how to be able to do that, but more so I need to learn how to have people not do that to yeah. me, yep. essentially, because it yep. was scary just how... Uh, Vulnerable. Yeah, and like un- completely out of your control something could be. And it's like you're not you're not really going to meet a dude on the street. Like what's the, what's the chances of running into a black belt in the street and then mm. getting into a confrontation where that person would do that thing it's like it's pretty low but it's so intriguing that that level of human performance is out there and you could become subject to that at some point (laughs) yeah exactly it's a perfect mix of a sport isn't it because it's you got to bring that um that warrior aspect to it but you've got to have a a a sense of vulnerability and no ego approach to it too Mm. and you know what a what a mix that is there's not many other sports that force you to bring both of those aspects yeah no i totally agree i've been thinking about it so much lately with that especially now because i'm more fitting into the middle of the spectrum Mm. i think that at the start you're you don't get a choice with the ego thing you you get humbled basically every day you're never you're always the nail and you're never the hammer Mm. and now i have i'm in the middle of the bracket where there's essentially half of the people where I can do whatever and I can be that guy that can have that control and then exercise an ego Mm. to a point where they don't have you know the ability to control what I do yeah and then I've still got that um that would today I got fucked up or like (laughs) fucked up I had to roll three black belts and a brown belt who is the best in Australia yeah and it's like that might have been day one jujitsu for me. Yeah, you know? might so, as well have been. But it's like, I think it's when you do get that understanding, you you sort of it's like a responsibility, and then you're like, this is a crazy thing because today it's just a roll, and you don't know what you're going to get. It's a roll mm. of the dice. I yeah. got three black belts and a brown belt, had nothing all day, just got fucked up. <laughs> but I could have gone there and rolled with four white belts. Yep. And then you get to make a choice of like do you want to be an egotistical piece of shit to these dudes mm. or do you want to have respect for them and try and develop their game 
expose yourself to weakness your weaknesses yep so then you can accelerate your game so well i was just about to say which which approach would be a faster learner mm. you know the latter would be for sure and that is like you said that's that forced introspection you mm. i don't get a choice like i i could not have left today's training session with any form of ego yeah not yep. po- like i got fucked up yeah you know yep. so it's it's forced on you there, there's no because you you know you get those people and they're like they can get their ego stroked even when they lose yeah and it's like i just don't know that you get that ability with this yeah yeah no exactly uh, is it something that you want to keep like you're going to keep really trying to pursue con- like as a constant thing yeah i think it's uh integrated into being um quite a habit for me now and um the love of of the journey of you know continuing to develop those two aspects that that we mentioned and to to keep learning and it's for me it's getting funner every time Mm. you know learning different things and applying them and um practicing how you know my memory and and being switched on and agile enough to jump on opportunities it's getting better uh, as i go have you found that you've had an advantage with your level of like mobility and flexibility and strength like could you can you feel it really lending to the sport? Yeah, big time. Yeah, big time. Um, you know, at the moment, I um, love playing on my back and taking that sort of um, approach. And yeah, super mobile. So I love a triangle. Yeah, um, yeah sick. And uh, yeah, I'm finding I'm yeah putting some uh, higher belts in in situations that uh, I wouldn't be able to if I wasn't as mobile or yeah, yeah. as onto it. Yeah, that's been my big thing with the flexibility side of things is that, and especially too, because I think you come across most black belts that have reached the top level of, um, in terms of the belt system. Mm. And they're all of like really good mobility, really good dexterity, really good flexibility. But I don't necessarily think they've all trained that. Mm. I just think that over years that it takes to be a black belt mm. they've been physically stretched and maneuvered to the point where it's just opened them up over such yeah. a long time yeah but the interesting thing is is that i think the mobility and the flexibility and the um the control over each limb individually lends themselves so much more to the their overall performance than just the technique that they've acquired as a black belt Mm. so in my head i'm sort of trying to run an experiment on myself is to if i can have that black belt level mobility flexibility and dexterity as a blue belt Mm. then what does that look like yeah opens up the potential that's sort of that's where my head's at with it you know yeah 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 it's like if you are on the journey of of a black belt then um along the way you're finding out the positions that you need to get into yeah or the positions where you're not mobile enough and where you got caught out and how that was a physical thing yeah and it's like oh i'm gonna fucking train that thing because i'm not getting caught like that again yeah and you can see like have you watched much of the high level no gi stuff yeah adcc level yeah like you see guys when they take the back and it's like they've they've got that top hook yeah and it's this this the leg is circling and it's literally looks like they're just using their arm yeah and it's so flexible and it's so (laughs) mobile and so controlled that it's like they're playing with four arms yeah and i'm playing with two essentially 
It's, yep. it's so crazy to watch that control, huh? Gnarly, hey. And then what a connection from brain to body that yeah, is too. Yeah, Your kinesthetic awareness. Yeah. It's like, you know, using Harley as an example, his ability to be upside down, inside out. So you know, crazy. That's his kinesthetic awareness yeah. and, and how refined that's got to be to land exactly where it needs to land. Well, it's like a top level, yeah, no gear jiu-jitsu guy. He's... He, could probably pick things up with his toes and and use his feet for for hands because yep. he's had to tune into that that feeling and that wiring of of how he uses his legs yeah so and i've noticed like i even watch matches now like stuff from nationals because i had a couple of triangle wins there and it's like the if you filmed me doing a triangle two years ago it is this slow, clunky. Yeah, I'm change. I'm using my hands, and there's all this stuff going on. And now it's just such a quick yep. movement, and it it is insane. To it's inspiring too. Like I'm let I let that stuff inspire me to keep pushing and keep. Again, I think it's. I like what you said before with the marathon runner. It's more about potential, mm. like exploring that human potential, and it it's exciting to get better at something. And yeah. I think that that is what pushes that continual progression is like when you're genuinely yeah. excited about those little details yeah and that they're the things that can keep you coming back for more there's a um really cool book an audio book um called the art of learning and i'll, I'll just get up the write that down. um the author um josh waitskin josh waitskin the art of learning and he, are you more of an audiobook guy? Uh, I'm a bit of both. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have uh, some audios on the run, and then some, yeah, okay. uh, and some books to to lock into. And what are you reading? What What are you listening to them through? Like Audible or? Yeah, that one. That one's through Audible. Okay. And um, he was a professional chess player, and what he had come to realize that he wasn't necessarily good at. Um, specific things but what he was amazing at was learning Mm. and then he became um profound in his practice of tai chi and there's a tai chi martial arts practice called touch hands and he became uh, american champion of that as well but it was all to do with how he processed learning Mm. and how he took that on and it's a really cool book for the jujitsu people out there um to be able to understand the intricates of learning uh, at an, at another level. Yeah, that's cool. I'm going to get that book. Yeah. I don't. I've struggled with the audio books. I can listen to podcasts, mm. but I find that I struggle a little bit with the audio book stuff. But maybe I just need to do it while walking or you know something where I don't have other shit yeah. kind of going on. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's that, and also. Yeah, if, if there's one that I really need to know and get to know, I'll get the book. Yeah, Because yeah. you can sit and highlight, rewrite, things yep. like that. Yep. You know, it's a bit hard to start and stop and listen and write, you know, when it comes to the audio books. How much are you reading these days? And like, where do you try and fit reading into your schedule? Because um, you're busy, you've got a kid. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm constantly, constantly reading. Uh, and that's a... A um, more of a late afternoon, um, nighttime type of thing. Um, meditation is a practice for me in the morning, and writing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the the readings more of that afternoon thing. 
Um, so, yeah. Um, with the, the meditation and the, the writing stuff as well, so what are you trying to achieve with your writing? Because I've been experimenting with a little bit more of just general journaling. Like I mm. don't really have a structure to it yet. I'm, I miss some days. I, I've got a red book that I keep on my desk and that's like the front of it is my to-do stuff and then the back of it is my journal. Yep. But there's like recently I haven't wrote in it all week because it's just been under some stuff on my desk. So it's not fully in my brain yet to where I'm intentionally seeking it out and doing mm. it. It's more of still a fuck that's right I need to do that but, yeah so what are you trying to get out of your writing sessions and are you going writing and then meditation I'm going meditation then writing okay and uh, I suppose my idea of what success is is getting to know myself is to the level that I know myself if I know myself a lot then I know why I make the choices I make I know what more of the optimal choice is for me mm. in any given moment. So my process of meditation and writing is of that, is um, my meditation is kind of just connecting in with myself a little bit more and getting to a stage where I feel like uh, there is no distraction or... I'm now more in my internal environment yeah. versus still remaining in the external environment. Yeah. So that requires me to remove senses and things like that. Are you listening to any music or any guided stuff? Yeah, or? some guided stuff. Uh, a nice place to, to start with some guided stuff is the Dr. Joe Dispenza, yeah. that guy. He, um, he has some really cool guided, whether it's visualization or whether it's a creative process uh he's big on creating your future reality now in yep. the present and that's through dropping into a theta brainwave state and then you know he guides you through this but a process of um aligning the feeling and the emotion with that future event or goal that you're looking for yeah and through that process you start to it's a it's a little bit deeper, but uh, you start to step more into the quantum world, and that's where time doesn't exist, and um, you just you are in your inner world, and you have the ability to create uh, from that present moment. Yeah. My example uh, of that is during my racing days of triathlon. Uh, the Noosa Triathlon was an event coming up and leading into it over the months I just felt so locked into this race like my mind was on it and I was just it was my focus hyper focus and every day I was I was training and, and training hard but I would tap into these vis visualizations of the race whilst I was training and there was moments where I was like running along Hedges Ave here on the Goldie and I'd just have fucking tears running down my face because I was just so in my internal world of locked into the emotion that I had, you know, crossing the line with my hands above my head. There was times where I was out riding and, you know, same thing. I just had music pumping and I was so locked into mm. this feeling that 
it was so clear to me, this visualization, and it was a daily thing. And the same thing would occur. It was me and a fellow athlete that I really looked up to. And we were running together with a K to go. And he was next to me side by side. I could visualize the day. It was a little bit rainy. And my the, the crowd was was in this position and my family and friends were like just to the right of the of the grandstand and the commentator was right at the end and I and um, in the visualization I crossed the line um, the same every time mm. it was like I was just locked into this same dream but it was whilst I was training but it was one you were cultivating yourself but it was one I was kind of bringing on myself and you were getting hyper detailed as well oh, like to yeah. look at the commentator to hear the voice to see the banners yeah like it wasn't just like a scarce visual visualization of like I'm just going to cross the line first yeah no it had detail it had intricate parts to it did it get more detailed the more you thought about it yeah it did and is that what you think is the trick and uh yeah the consistency the practice of of it or the you know you can think it once but is it you know ingrained into you mm. and anyway come to race day um i had the the start that i'd visualized through the middle part of the race i was in the position that i'd visualized but where i really locked into was that last part that last k mm. and i found myself with that guy next to me and it was the same day it was a little bit rainy and the crowd was packed like i'd visualized and then my family and friends ended up being in that position that i'd visualized them and then i crossed the line with my hands in the position that i had also visualized and it was this weird as fuck moment of like deja vu Mm. and it was yeah it was like emotional and like holy shit I've been here before type of feeling and it wasn't until later years that I had come across this despunza guy and his uh, urge to show what I had gone through in a scientific way mm. and um, yeah I found it I found it pretty fascinating and, and something that I love to share with with clients and yeah. athletes and take people through that visualization process yeah there there's definitely or there there has to be some form of like resistance at the start when if you hear that story and you're a person that is a a long way away from achieving something like that someone Mm. that they know they need to work out more they just have like a gym membership and it's like one or two days a week and it's like they're struggling to really get into it i I think that there is a certain level of resistance to hear stories like like you want to push back against a story like that. Mm. Or when someone tells you about their their amazing experiences meditating, you want to push back against that because mm. again, I think it's that subconscious thing of like it, it, you feel so far away from it. Did you have those same sort of uh, resistance towards like you'd hear someone talking about meditation or visual and you just were like it's fucking hokey dude like Mm. and then at the start maybe the first 20 times you meditated you were just like what the fuck am i doing 100 you know so like because i think that that's one of the problems that not a problem but it's like you hear this you hear the end result because Mm. people are only sharing it when they get to the level that you're at with it because they really believe in it 
But for someone that doesn't believe in it, they mm. just pass it off as hokey shit. Yeah. So it's like, did you still have those same feelings and, you know, that long period of time of just going like, this is fucking pointless? Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it takes like a level of trust in a way too. Oh, kind of for sure. Back right? to that who do you listen to thing. Yeah. Because is that person sharing their meditation examples and experiences out of ego? Yeah. Like, look what I can do. Because that happens a lot. Yeah. Especially in the yoga, meditation. Fucking like, oath. That space just it seems so fucking corrupted with, like, Mate. these people that are just telling you shit for, like, their <laughs> own purposes. The um, the paradox of that, that spiritual realm is that they're the ones who are tripping all over their own fucking egos. Yeah. And now, now I'm I'm not putting crystals up their pussies and shit. Yeah, super I'm, weird. <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not discounting like um, that realm, but it's like check in with your ego on it too, because someone can want to be spiritual out of their identity and ego. Yes, look how spiritual I am. Woke as fuck. Yeah, yeah, but that's just as bad as the ego of someone who's not spiritual and and you know, doing their thing mm. in, a, in, a, in a low vibe way. Yeah. So you're just the same if you're coming it's to almost, with that it, intention. Yeah, it's, it's ignorance as well. Yeah, exactly. So if someone is telling that, that story from a place of ego, like, look what I can do, then it doesn't have the right intention and therefore you get to assess the degree that you're going to listen to that. Mm. But... If, if somebody's like, you know, um, maybe saying it out of, you know, this is, like we said before, this is our potential. Mm. And coming at it with that uh, um, more of uh, helping kind of attitude. Then yeah, that stuck with me when you said that. May, maybe, maybe that can morph some trust. Mm. And if that trust starts to, to sit and morph inside of you, then... It becomes a, a a process of stepping into the unknown mm. and and practicing what someone is telling you. Because everything at the end of the day, like now that you're saying that, everything comes down to the trust. Like trust. Like yeah. I trust that Fabio Galeb is a legitimate black belt mm-hmm. that will give me the training that I need to become that level. Like yeah. I've I'm in. I mean I've got I've got that trust. But I haven't thought of it in that way. Mm. I've just thought, oh I'm just doing this yep. this thing. But especially and and this is one of the things where like I know I talk about the jujitsu side of things a lot, but that I've had been exposed to a lot of lessons about myself because I'm not the super consistent dude. Mm. Like I would say I'd be consistent in terms of like living for my ego in, in a lot of ways years ago. But it's like now you I've been consistent in this thing and I've done what people have told me that know a lot more than me and I've taken all of the beatings on board and all of the lessons on board and now I'm hitting like I said that middle ground obviously still so early in the stage but there is more of a ground now where it's like I've I've gone through that first bit yeah you know I've punched through that first bit of the ceiling and now it's like you're up in this different sort of atmosphere or whatever. Mm. And then you're still going. Yeah. And there's still, you still don't know a lot in this particular space. But now I can look back and I, I do go like, I did put trust in this. I yeah. did listen to the lessons. Like, you know, that's one of the things that um, like Harry Bink was telling me about it. It's skydiving. Yeah. He was so excited about it and he was so uh, into it because he'd had this realization of like, 
he was frothing on I could only get better at this the more I do it yeah like I can't you can't learn this any other yep. way yeah and I think that that is very similar with jiu-jitsu like mm. you have to do it you have to be fully on the the road and I think now that I've, I've experienced that with jiu-jitsu and I have pushed through that I'd say the first barrier mm. and you know there's so many more to go but it's like now I've burst through that I'm like fuck this is everything. Yeah. Everything is this journey. 100%. Whether it's meditation, whether it's mobility, whether it's breathing, whether it's, you yeah. know, yoga, anything is like you have to trust, commit to the process mm-hmm. and fight through the initial resistance because even people like yourself with the meditating, mm-hmm. you've pushed through that resistance from the start, right? Yeah. What, what you're describing is um, the four modes of consciousness. So to begin with, with anything we are unconsciously unconscious. Yeah. We don't know that we don't know. Uh, and then you become consciously unconscious. Yeah. Oh, fuck, I know that I don't know. And then you become consciously conscious, meaning I know that I know. And then you get to the stage where you become unconsciously conscious and it's that you don't know that you, that know. you know. Fuck, that's sick. <laughs> and it's, That's so sick. And it's with everything. Yes. It's like you don't know that you don't know that move. Mm-hmm. You don't know that you don't know what meditation does. Now you know that you don't know. And so now I've got to put in the fucking work and the effort to know that I know. And now I've got to trust and put more energy and effort into it so that I get to the stage where I don't even know that I know that. And that's what, that's our consciousness. That's such a fucking sick mm. way to look at that. Yeah. And I don't think that I could have fully understood it because I think I'm in stage two. Yeah. Basically, like I'm living in stage two in so many aspects of my life. Mm. And I don't think I've ever been as excited to reach whatever the top level is. Mm. And I think that before it's where it's like motocross or it's, you know, I was like super into golf and it's the the top level of that is so far away Mm. that I think that you almost need to pick something in your life where the top level is attainable Mm. because I've been saying a little bit lately that how you do anything is how you do everything. 100%. And that has been another thing. It's a philosophy that's come from from training Mm. essentially and it's like if you can put in the absolute like there are times I will leave there fucking cooked. Yeah. I got nothing left to give. And you do that and there is a sense of gratification that comes with that regardless of the outcome. Mm. Whether it was me putting beatings on people or me getting beat up. Yeah. There is an inherent satisfaction that comes with that. And then it made me want to feel that satisfied everywhere else. Yeah. And then that's what made me start thinking about like how you do anything is how you do everything. So it's like we should pick something in our life that it's like we can achieve you know enlightenment in a Mm. way in that one area Mm. because then it's the follow-on like you can't not have a follow-on effect yeah and again like it's still early days and it's still i feel like i'm just becoming aware of this and now there's so much more to go yeah but i don't know how many people have something in their life that there is that uh a realistic achievable excellence in Mm. something Mm. and that in working towards that, the follow-on effect and the filter-down effect 
of that will make all of your life better if that makes sense yeah for sure 100 <laughs> percent. that's where i'm at <laughs> and that's fucking sick it's good yeah. oh, i love what you i love that four step four deal. modes of consciousness four modes of consciousness yeah is there a book that you read about that or um i got that from um one of my mentors gary yeah okay. um there is a book called four modes of consciousness yep yep but um i hadn't read it i just uh kind of got that information from him yeah. my my filters on on how to extract that the the mentors thing is interesting because i don't think a lot of people would have mentors in their life i think mm-hmm. you're around people that you look up to mm-hmm. but that term is something that anyone that is very successful you'll hear them use that term of like yeah. one of my mentors like yeah that's something that you're obviously super into yeah so into it <laughs> yeah. because it's um again it's one of those things i don't know what i don't know resistance and it can sound hokey though right at the start yeah yeah if you look and if you want to look through that lens if you want to look through that lens but if you're looking through that lens you're sabotaging yourself Mm -hmm. and if you if you if you want to look at that and pretend like you know everything then you're full of shit yeah and if you think you know everything you don't need a mentor then you definitely need a mentor it's like (laughs) it's like if you um one of the Eastern sayings is that everyone should meditate for half an hour every day, unless you're really, really busy. If you're really busy, you should meditate for an hour every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's, there's that kind of concept in that. Yeah. I feel. Uh, it's one of those things, though, where it's like, okay, cool, bro. Where do I get a mentor? Yeah. Well, what do you want to become unconsciously conscious at? Yeah. So do you just hunt out the guy that's like, unconsciously conscious at it really fucking good at it yeah yeah it's like oh so bro you want to be really good at at boxing well who's unconsciously conscious and a fucking weapon at boxing yeah go hit him up be around that dude be around that dude yeah ask him shit you know drill you know get right into his brain yeah get right into his mind and if you want to do that in business if you want to do that in property property development, well, who's someone better at it than you? Yeah. To be able to do that requires you to drop your ego for I was a second. Say, you've got to be extremely humble to then call. Like, have you had a situation where you've literally just called somebody? I guess to say, like, will you be my mentor? Is like kind of. Oh, it's probably not going to happen like that a lot of the times. But like, what is your process of like identifying a person and then making that connection? And you know, what's your conversations look like? to a person that you're like I, he is unconsciously conscious of this mm. and I would strive to be like that person yeah it takes a level of getting to know that person um, and seeing how they're living and breathing and what is it that I want to learn from that person that uh, really intrigues me mm. and if that is something that I do want to learn then um, yeah it's like one maybe they do that maybe they have a mentorship program Mm. um maybe they haven't but they've thought about it and Mm. maybe you are the catalyst to helping them create that you know it's yeah each to their their own with that understanding yeah you're right though it is uh it requires a definite level of humility though to then put all of your ego aside and to become like completely malleable and because the even the way that you can ask questions to somebody can be out of ego. Mm. You know, like you've really got to 
be aware of like um the, a, like a genuine nature of having a conversation with somebody yeah definitely and yeah it's like back to is your ego getting in your own way mm. um yeah you've just got to check in with that on yourself only you know that yeah for sure and um yeah um, one of the things because I do want to do you have a time you have to get out of here boy um, pretty soon I think alright one of the things I want to talk to you about and you just let me know when you've got to go too by the way because mm-hmm. we could be here for hours <laughs> we um, could be. but the, the breathing stuff that you've been into lately and the mm. workshops that you've been doing are mm. fascinating mm. and the whole cold exposure thing what got you into that and what have you seen again as a guy that tests stuff on yourself like Mm. what improvements have you made as a result of like a deep dive into that world yeah i think the ice is a an amazing metaphor for triggers it's an amazing metaphor for the other triggers that lie in our life we can be triggered by uh, traffic by what other people say by this by that and the ice forces us into reacting so if it forces us to react then it also has the ability to train us to be more of a responder yeah and it helps to train us to go within try and practice quietening the mind and to tune into ourselves and not be so influenced by our external environment. Yeah, okay. So the, the breathing in the ice is a practice for that. And um, within the workshops, uh, it's a, a lot of what we're talking about today, you're really just prepping people into knowing that this workshop here is to get to know yourself is to get to know what you're thinking when you step in that ice. Yeah. What parts of you have fear? What parts of you want to get out? Um, how you get through it? Like all of those things is you getting to know yourself. Mm. And if you're doing it in the ice, which is a really big trigger, then how you do every, anything is how you do everything. Mm. It's going to be how you respond to a trigger outside uh, of the ice. Mm whether it's a confrontation or whatever, whether you're in the ice and you get frustrated that, and you can't handle it, well, that's probably how you're going to handle confrontation too. Mm. So it's just a or beautiful... Anxiety yeah, or anxiety fear. Yeah, anxiousness. It's like, let's turn that dial into excitement and try and tune into ourselves enough to make that shift between the anxiousness that the ice creates and the excitement that you can have for creating this experience for yourself. And are you now to the point where you are excited to get into that tub? Uh, there's, there'll, there'll always be, be days where it's like, all right, how, how tuned in am I? Yeah. Because if I'm all outside of myself, then yeah, I've probably got some fear stepping into it. Yeah. But if I'm like tuned in, then I'm like, yeah, I'm excited to step in here and test myself. Yeah, but it never gets easy. Because I think that's the thing. That's like the... um, That's the lie we tell ourselves. Mm. Is that if we do this thing enough, it'll be easy. Yeah. But I think the people that achieve great things are the ones that have just reconciled with the fact that it's never going to be easy. Never gets easier. Just You just get better at it. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I think that that's... Uh, 
I think that's the lie though that mm. people tell themselves because they'll say do it for six months or three months but then it's like it's not getting easier yeah and yeah it's like it's not supposed to and and wouldn't that be like a, a halt that would create a halt for someone new to it wouldn't it yeah it's like oh look how easy it is for these people yeah well it's not necessarily easy they're just better at it yeah exactly yeah and they've just practiced it and they've gone through the four modes of consciousness of it yeah um so yeah when you look at people who are doing those things um, you know, in sport and, and and whatever. It's it's like if you want to create a big business, it's not that your big business gets easier, you just get better at managing it yeah. and um, better at dealing with it. So have you got... Um, I'll let you get out of here just because I know you're a busy dude. I, th- I, I thought getting three hours is big pretty tough. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but um, have you got any workshops coming up? Have you got anything to sort of plug or yeah. um, where people can sort of get at you? Um, one thing we've got coming up on the 2nd of November, there is a, it's actually a nutritional workshop yep. for performance athletes. Um, or it doesn't just have to be for performance athletes, but it's based around how to eat right around performance times, pre, during, and post. Uh, that's at an organic cooking school down in inland of Nuribar called Bavana. Uh, that's on the second and then on the ninth is one of the ice bath and breathing workshops and that's at the active gym here in burley yeah right so we've got on the ninth. on the ninth so we've got two of those uh different ones coming up and um yeah both very individualized and different but and how do people get onto those um check out my website uh com dot au yep and uh workshops tab and all the info there well, I've really enjoyed you coming on this podcast and I'd love to make it a semi-regular thing yeah, as your for schedule sure. allows it because there's so much stuff that we can go into. But Mate, um, so good. you're a guy that I look up to a lot and I enjoy, um, even though we don't talk every day, I enjoy looking at what you're doing most days and uh, definitely drawing inspiration from the stuff that you've got on and the effects that you've had on people that, that I know and, and care about. So, oh, Thanks, brother. No, thank you very much and thanks for having me on. I hope this you enjoyed unreal. it. I loved it. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Awesome, man. Thanks so much, eh? Dude. Unreal. Yeah, really.